You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning. I'm so grateful that I have this opportunity to be able to connect with all of you who are part of the South Bay Church. You know, Steve is a man of incredible tenacity and energy. And just a couple months back, I had the opportunity just to spend some time with him in San Diego. And I was so encouraged by his faith and his love for God and his love for all of you. I've heard great things about the church there and what God is doing. We've been going through an incredibly difficult time. But I want you to know that we are so grateful that we are in a common fight with you. My name is Will Archer, and I serve as the evangelist here in the Potomac Valley Church. And we have an incredible congregation here. And I'm able to work in the ministry along with my wife, Tasha. And we have two incredible kids. Uh, My son, Makai, who's 17 years old. He's been a disciple for two years. And our daughter, Journey, who's 12, who's full of life and energy and all the craziness of a preteen. I just want you to know how grateful I am that we get this chance to dig into the scriptures and to be able to share what God is doing among us. And we hope that it will serve to encourage you in your faith as you advance the gospel right there in South Bay. Before we do anything else, let's go to God in a word of prayer so that God can really direct our thoughts as we dig into the scriptures. Let's pray. Our God and Father, you are incredible. We are so grateful, God, for all the brothers and sisters that we have uh, all over the world. And I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to be able to share the gospel with all of you and, uh, and, and to share the gospel, God, with my brothers and my sisters, God. God, I pray so much, God, that you can put your words into my mouth to speak to your people as you designed for those words to be shared. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to understand the scriptures, but more importantly, to put those scriptures into practice. God, help us, God, to be the new wineskins so that you can pour your new wine into us. You are doing amazing things in the world, even in the midst of all the challenges that we find ourselves in. And so, God, please guide us now, lead us in triumphant procession, and help us to walk with you as you intend. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've heard so much about the church about your love for God and your love for people. You know, I am I'm so grateful for the friendships that I've been able to build. Most of my friendships are over here on the East Coast. Uh, I became a disciple uh, when I was 18 years old in New York City, and I've been a disciple for 27 years. I've served in seven different uh, congregations within our family of churches, and uh, it has truly been a blessing to be able to be a disciple of Jesus and to witness the things that I've witnessed in the past 27 years. It's not always been easy. There have been some very dark days and long nights. But God has brought us through and brought us to this place. And so as I get the chance to share God's word with you, I want you to know that my heart is filled with overwhelming gratitude for God's grace towards us. This has been a truly brutal year. It's been very, very difficult. You know, I had the opportunity on January 28th uh, to go up to Boston for the first time and get a chance to speak to the ministry staff in New England. And while I was preaching the gospel to the, the brothers and sisters on staff there in New England, 
My mom was passing away in Phoenix, Arizona. My brother and my sisters mourned my mother's loss. It was tremendously painful. Just a few weeks later, I had the opportunity to go to Indonesia, and I'll share much more about the partnership that we've had with the Indonesian churches and to see the incredible miracles as the brothers and sisters in Indonesia got together and, and uh, from all over Indonesia and many countries across Southeast Asia for a, a leadership meeting and for us to be able to serve the community and engage with them. That was a tremendous time of clarity. But as I was making my way to Indonesia and back, the word about the coronavirus was spread everywhere. You know, I'd, I'd been through the airport in, in, in Tokyo many times, and that's always a bustling airport, and it was like a ghost town, and everyone was wearing a mask. I wore my, my mask out of obligation as a commitment to my wife and my daughter that I would be safe, but I didn't understand at that point the gravity of what we were going to face. The next months that followed, as we've all walked through, have led to over 200,000 Americans losing their lives to the coronavirus. Prior to the coronavirus pandemic, we were losing lives at a rapid rate based on suicide and opioid overdose. Those deaths of depression, those deaths of, those deaths of, of despair that were happening in our country brought such pain and devastation to our country for, for years prior and coming into January and February, we had no idea that we would witness one of the greatest pandemics in our nation's history, if not the greatest. It's been painful. But that pandemic has also been paired with a deeper and more abiding awareness of injustice in our country as violent acts were perpetrated against minority groups, particularly against uh, African-Americans, we've had a social revolution in our country that has been raging from May forward. I think it is right and honorable that as Christians we should be concerned about what's going on in the world. And I've spoken publicly many times about this. There are real changes that we need to make within our family of churches, and real changes that need to be made among all people in the United States and around the world as it relates to issues of justice and equity. But I got to tell you, the twin challenges of the coronavirus and the social revolution related to injustice and, and, and brutality has been so much for so many of us to bear. But our great God, in the midst of these trials, has given us a resolve and a conviction like never before. Jesus shows us the way forward. He is our hope and our confidence through difficult times. And I want to share some things from God's word and some things from our story that I hope serve to encourage you in these trying times that God is doing a new thing among us and calling us to new and renewed faith like never before. Jesus tells an amazing story in Luke. If you don't mind turning on over to Luke chapter 5, it's actually a parable. 
In Luke 5.36, Jesus says, I told them this parable. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new. For he says, the old is better. Jesus is telling us a story about wineskins. Now, many of us are not as familiar with wineskins, but the way it works is if you pour new wine into a new wineskin, what the, the wine does is it expands the wineskin and it's able to hold the, the old wine. But if you try to pour new wine into an old wineskin, the expansion process actually breaks the wineskin, and the, the wine and the wineskin both are ruined. We live in a world of transformative change, where the waves of change are moving at a rapid rate. And this demands a level of spiritual elasticity and tenacity and courage and conviction that can only be found by relying on God and following the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is definitely leading us in some amazing ways. You know, I've had the privilege, as I mentioned, of being a disciple for 27 years. But almost seven years ago, I moved here to Virginia. As I mentioned, I'm part of the Potomac Valley Church. I moved here to Virginia to lead the Potomac Valley Church with Tasha. Now, the Potomac Valley Church at that point had been an independent cooperative congregation for six years. Uh, seven, in fact. For seven years. And in that seven-year period, our congregation had amazing leaders that poured out every bit of their energy and all of their strength. But in that seven-year period, our congregation went from 132 disciples to 135 disciples. We only grew by three disciples in seven years. Now, we had periods where many people got baptized, but many people moved away, and sadly, many walked away. And so, at the end of seven years, millions of dollars spent, and incredible leaders deploying all of their energy to the work, we'd only grown by three disciples. The confidence and the, the vision and the forward thinking of our church was at its lowest point. And so what we devoted ourselves to do when we walked in was to spend the first four months just listening to people, asking two questions of every disciple. What is your kingdom dream? Because it's time for us to dream dreams again. And where do you see the church in the next 10 years? The overwhelming message that we got from everyone is we just want stability. If we could just have some elders and just have some mature leaders that would just stay with us. Many of them did not expect us to stay the course and to go through the tumultuous years that would come. They had seen many great leaders come and go. But by God's grace, after the end of four months, we began deep teaching. We took the next eight months to deeply teach the congregation about faith 
and faithfulness. And God did some miracles in those months. But as we came to the one-year mark of walking together as a congregation, we made a, a faithful decision that we would devote ourselves to fasting and prayer. We fasted for one day that September. This is the September of 2015. One day in September. Three days we fasted congregationally in October. Seven days we fasted in November. We took December off because we didn't think December was a great month for fasting. We love our food. I know you guys are, you know, on the West Coast, and so you're probably good. You, 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 don't, you don't need to eat like us, us Southerners, but, you know, December ain't the best time for us to fast. And then in January, we made a decision that we would fast for 21 days. We started that time of fasting by inviting our brother Ed Anton to call us in to, to, to teach us about what repentance is from Scripture and what it looks like when a church the entire church commits itself to repentance. And then after 21 days, we asked our brother Phil Booker to come in and to call us to repentance. All of our leaders got up, just our leaders, in this small congregation. And we openly confessed our corporate sin, how we had allowed division to spread among us, how we'd allowed gossip to spread among us, how we'd allowed political tensions to divide us and racial animosities, and judging each other to divide us. We openly confessed our desperate need for God, and then we committed ourselves to a new path. January, the end of January of 2016, we committed ourselves to radically change, to no longer be the old wineskins, but to be ready and to become the new wineskins used by God to do whatever God wanted us to do. Brothers and sisters, our friends and our neighbors, I'm telling you, in the past four years, we have seen miracles. Miracles that God's done with our mission's contribution. We struggled to raise $40,000. And this, in the middle of a pandemic, just last month, by God's mercy, we're able to raise $150,000 to give away to mission work, to advance the gospel in Southeast Asia and here in the U.S. and in so many other uh, ways. In the course of this time, that same group of 135 disciples is now by God's incredible mercy, 248 disciples and growing every single day. God has blessed us in tremendous ways to engage in the local community and to see transformative change. But that change has come based on us making a decision that we would radically repent of our spiritual stagnation and embrace the path of spiritual elasticity. Now, what does that look like exactly? It looks like having the courage to walk on water and step out the boat. We all know the story. And one of the three accounts that we find in Scripture is found in Matthew chapter 14. If you don't mind just turning on over there with me to Matthew 14. It says in Matthew 14 that immediately Jesus made his disciples get out of the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he walked up on the mountainside by himself and prayed. When, Jesus, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. 
During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, cried out in fear. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Verse 29 of chapter 14. Come, he said. Do you remember when you heard those words for the first time from Jesus? I remember when I heard those words the first time 27 years ago, when Jesus called me to come and be his disciple. I remember when I read these words for the first time. About 33 years ago was the first time I read the Bible. I grew up Sunni Muslim. My dad converted to Islam when he was in college. And I grew up Sunni Muslim. I grew up not believing in Jesus. When I was 12 years old, I read these words for the first time. They sank deep into my heart over the next six years and led me to the decision 27 years ago to say, I will go anywhere. I will do anything. I will follow Jesus wherever he leads. I didn't know that would lead me through seven different churches, through dark nights and difficult days. I didn't know that would lead me to the overwhelming blessing of having my wife and my kids and having the privilege to serve with the greatest people in the world. I didn't know that would lead me and you through a pandemic or through racial tension like I'd only read about in the history books. I didn't know where that would lead me. But as Jesus said then, he says to you and to me now, come. Then Jesus, then Peter rather, got out of the boat and walked on water and came towards him. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink And he cried out, Lord, save me. I don't know if you've ever been there before. You know, this year I've gone through pain and loss. And I've walked with friends and neighbors through pain and loss. The kind of pain where you understand why people drink. The kind of pain where you understand why people curse. And let me just be plain, I I don't curse. I made a decision to follow Jesus, and I I let that go when I made the decision to follow Jesus. But you know, sometimes there are feelings that you feel that you cannot articulate other than a profane word coming to your mind. I don't know if you've been there, but I have. I struggle every day to be a Christian. All 27 years of my Christian walk, it it hadn't been easy. it, It hadn't always gone well. And I'm always done right. I've made tons of mistakes. I've made more mistakes than most. I don't deserve the right to, to be a disciple, much less preach the word of God, much less lead in God's kingdom. I, I'm, I'm no one and nothing except for what God has made me. And so if you, if you feel down and out, I just want to let you know, I know what it is to be sinking. But you know, Peter knew what to do when he's sinking. He said, Lord, save me. 
You know what Jesus did? Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, got a hold of him. He says, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the, into the boat, the wind died down. And when those who were in the boat, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. I never forget many years back, I went with a, a group of, of brothers and sisters on a rafting trip. And we you know we went on this these rapids on the rafting trip. And we came to a massive whirlpool. And uh, and as we're in this massive whirlpool, I got thrown out of the raft and caught underneath the, the raft in the whirlpool. There was nowhere to go. There's only the raft above me, and I'm in the whirlpool, and I thought it was over. And I expended all my energy just trying to stay moving and trying to stay alive, and I was so exhausted that God was able to get the, the, the boat away from, from the whirlpool, and I was able to get out from underneath the, the boat, underneath the raft. But I was exhausted. And this little bitty sister was in the boat, and she took a hold of me by my, 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 laugh, my life raft, my, laugh, my life vest, my vest. She took a hold of me, this little bitty sister, and she yanked me right on top of her. A little, little, little bitty uh, five foot some odd sister picked me up, you know, big old six foot one, 225 pound fella. And I, I tell you, I just felt so vulnerable. I was so grateful to be saved. I can imagine that's how Peter felt. You know, when you're sinking, you, you have no way out, and someone just yanks you out. Some of us, we need to get yanked out, yanked out of the tough situations we find ourselves in. But I, I just want to encourage you that God wants you to cry out to him. But he also wants you to have the courage to do that which no one has ever done before. There's a lot that we can say about Peter needing to be saved. There's a lot that we can say about him looking at the winds and the waves and letting what's going on around the world distract us and, and, and be led astray and, and give in to the pressure. But let me just tell you something about Peter. He answered the call to come. And God is calling you today to have the courage to be the new wineskin that he wants you to be and to have the courage to come. You know, that's what we've been learning. We've been learning how to answer the call to come, the, the call to come and follow Jesus, to come and follow the Spirit of God. That, that's required us making some radical decisions. One of them was a decision we made six years ago, that every year we would get on an airplane, myself and anybody that wanted to come. And over the course of the past six years, we've had well over 40 almost 50 disciples from the Potomac Valley Church travel to Southeast Asia, open up our notebooks, and learn from our brothers and sisters in Jakarta and all over Indonesia and all over Southeast Asia. Following Jesus means that you have to have the elasticity to learn in unconventional ways. One of the big things that we've learned from them is the importance of relationship over transaction. So many of the tensions we have in the church is because our relationships can often be brokered relationships that are really about what can I get from you or what can you give to me? 
instead of how can we just be family? You're going through a time of incredible change. As, in, as a result of the, Potomac, of, the, of the coronavirus, much like us here in Potomac Valley, you've had to meet in smaller groups, mostly based on Zoom. My understanding is that you're making some restructuring in some of your small groups, and your groups are changing up. That requires spiritual elasticity. Let me offer a good adage for you as you make sense of the changes that we've had to learn to make as well. Blessed are the flexible, but they will not be bent out of shape. Be flexible and follow God. Follow him out of the boat and into the waters of faith and what he wants to do in your life. You know, you can never change the world if you want to stay in the boat of complacency and sameness instead of walking on the waters of faith. You know, the laws of faith defy the laws of physics. They do. It doesn't make any sense for you to walk on water. It doesn't make any sense to follow a God that you don't see. It doesn't make any sense to follow a faith that was documented over 2,000 years ago. But we do those things because they make a lot of sense when you do them. Now, God's taught us so much, and there's so little time to share with you all the things that God's taught us. And I hope to be able to see you in person and, and share with you what God has consistently been teaching us here. But we've seen God do miracles we could never have imagined. I encourage you to consider that Matthew 22 comes before Matthew 25, which comes before Matthew 28. In our passion to spread the message of the gospel, we must begin by loving God with all that we are, as Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That must be followed by a commitment to seeing Jesus in the face of everyone, loving those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, loving those without regard for folks' immigration status, loving the stranger, whoever that stranger may be, loving those who are imprisoned, loving people who are different than us and people who seem the same as us but have very different stories. That is the way that we will live out the great mission that God has called us to. We must love God with everything that we are and we must love people, not transactionally, but we must love them as Jesus loves us, as a function of relationship. You know, what that means for us in real world terms here, we're just 20 miles from Washington, D.C. Our church is incredibly diverse. In my family group, we have Republican and Democratic elected officials. In, in our church, we have people who are stridently Republican and stridently Democratic and those that are independent and those who don't care about any of that stuff. We've got everyone in our congregation, as I'm sure you have there on the West Coast in L.A., whether in, in Long Beach or in South Bay. God's blessed you in such amazing ways. But we've had to change our posture. The truth is, in our family of churches, we've mostly taken a very insular posture. 
We've had to learn how to have an open posture, one that extends our hands to those on the right as much as we extend our hands to those on the left. That's meant a lot of spiritual elasticity, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of learning how to respect people who have different views and, and different backgrounds. First Chronicles 12, 32 tells us that we should be like the men of Issachar, that we should know what time it is, what time it is and what we should do. We shouldn't back away from the world. We should lean into it. We shouldn't back away from the conflict. We should lean into it. In all seven of the churches that I've served, in 27 years, I have witnessed, confronted, and addressed racism, bias, and prejudice. This is not a problem in the world. This is a problem that the whole world suffers from, that is both in the world and in the church. So how do we engage these issues in meaningful and real ways? We engage them as only Christians can. You see, the world may talk about issues and gain awareness and learn how to practice tolerance. Tolerance means I keep you at hand's length. I accept that you get to be there, but you stay there and I'll stay here. We don't do that. We're Christians. We extend our hands to everyone and we embrace all people. We accept one another as Christ accepted us in order to bring praise to God, as it says in Romans 15. That means that we also have to learn about the communities that we serve in. And you know, myself and our ministry staff, we've taken it, and, and our leadership has taken it onto ourselves to study the communities that we, we serve in and where we live. I know all of the elected officials in our local area. In our area, our, our, the specific jurisdiction where I live, there are eight elected officials that oversee our area. Six of the eight have come to church. One has promised to come soon this year, and one more I'm still working on. We engage with these folks directly. We've invited and we have hosted Republican and Democratic congressmen because we don't back away from political issues. We just bring Christ into the conflict. What do I mean by that? We don't take sides. We don't play partisan politics. We are those that unite all people. In fact, I got to tell you, I'm so proud of the church here. Back in June, as, as things were raging in our community, our, our highest elected official in the local area, who's functionally the mayor in our area, the, the chair of the board of supervisors, had her office reach out to us to ask the Potomac Valley Church to host a community town hall. And she did so because she knew about the work that we've been doing in the community, serving the homeless, feeding people, meeting needs, but also being a place where both Republicans and Democrats are welcome because all people need the gospel. People from every background, rich, poor, young and old, from every background, need us to engage in the world. This requires spiritual elasticity. And this is how I want to encourage you to go into your new small groups. It is with an incredible commitment to the elasticity that God's calling us to have in the world. I can tell you, this is challenging and is only done through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to close out by just sharing one more passage of Scripture with you. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And in it here, Paul explains to us 
something that I think many of us miss as Christians. Many of us have learned a dutiful faith that relies on our effort and our energy. Many of us are learning how to rely on the Spirit, how to step out of the boat and how to walk on water. And right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12, this is what we're told. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. See, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it when its radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It is not removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, because of the active work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that we're granted as we believed in Jesus and repented of our sins and been baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, that Holy Spirit allows us not to stay the way we are, not to be afraid in the midst of challenge. It's a spirit of boldness, a spirit that does not teach us timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. Don't quench the Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. The dark night that we find ourselves in may be challenging, but the darker the night, the brighter the light. You and I, we are the light of the world. The duller the world gets, the clearer the salt of the earth must be. We must step into this world with a resolve like never before. Whether we're in small groups, or large ones, whether we're on the West Coast or on the East Coast, or we are anywhere all around the world, remember this. Since Jesus' resurrection, we don't have a faith that fades. We have a faith that's being constantly renewed, that's becoming greater every single day. You know, Moses would put a veil over his face because he was afraid that people might lose their confidence in their leader. Imagine this for a second. Many of us have learned how to put a veil over things so that people can have confidence in us and not see our weaknesses. But our weaknesses demonstrate the glory of God because though we are weak and messed up people, God does not limited by our weaknesses. He's not limited by the tragedy. He's not limited by the brokenness of our world. In fact, it is in those conditions that he does his best work. We're told in Scripture that though John the Baptist was the greatest of all Old Testament prophets, even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So that's why I can say with boldness and assurity of faith that though you don't know me, and I'm your brother over on the East Coast in Virginia, 20 miles from D.C., I can give you clear direction from God that it is time for us to move. It is time for us to get up and to be what God wants us to be. It is time for us to respond to the call to come follow me. It is time for us to get out of the boat. Time for us to embrace spiritual elasticity. It is time for us, though we are old wineskins, 
to shed that old skin and to become new wineskins, ready for the new wine that God is pouring out in our world. The dark night always gives way to the bright light. A ship is safe in harbor, but that is not what ships were made for. You are made for greatness. You are made by God at the greatest time in human history, at the greatest time of greatest need, not to be embroiled in conflict with your neighbor, but to share the gospel with your neighbor. Not to be embittered by the sadness and the brokenness of the world, but to be healed and transformed so that you might bring wholeness to a broken world. We are the ones that the world has been waiting for, the ones that are called by God, but it has nothing to do with our goodness, but his greatness. Everything to do with where he's calling us to be. I pray for you as I pray for us that we would learn no longer to rely on ourselves, that we'd openly confess our desperate need for God and we'd watch God do miracles. Every day we've been witnessing miracles here. In the middle of the pandemic, we're able to purchase our very first church building. And right now we're in the middle of a conversation to purchase a second church building. This defies reason. We don't have wealthy members. We're just regular people in the suburbs outside of D.C. trying to make the message ring out. Pray for us as we're in the midst of this great trial along with you. But also pray for us as we pray for you as we rise to greatness at this great time of need. I pray God's blessing on your ministry. Let me pray for you right now and for God to guide you as we are learning to be guided by him as well. Our God and Father, I pray. I pray for my brothers and sisters. My brothers and sisters, God, uh, in the L.A. church, God, I pray, God, that you will be with them. God, I pray that you will guide and direct them, that you yourself will show them the way forward. Be with their leaders who love your people deeply, who've stayed the course who are not hired hands, who are true good shepherds, willing to stay the course in the midst of difficult trial. Be with the small group leaders and the elders and the deacons and the deaconesses and the, the people that have stepped up to do the work and shoulder load. Be with the least disciple and help them to recognize the call of Joel that though they may say that I'm weak, that you have told them to say I am strong. God, we are at a time where we need you more than ever. The waves and the winds are blowing in our country like never before. We're at a time of real transformation, as you know, in this fellowship of churches. We're at a time of real transformation in the world. We need you. Help us to become the new wineskins that you want us to be so you can pour your new wine into us and help us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth that you ordained us to be. We pray all these things with great confidence, and I pray, God, that you will bless my brothers and sisters as they advance the gospel where they are, as I pray that you will strengthen them and us to advance the gospel where we are. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love y'all. I'm praying for you. Please, Lord, pray for us. I love y'all. Brian, give us a... Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, 
please visit southbaychurch.us.